This is episode number 50 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's individual, the number one pod. At our Twitter handle, you can find my entire Mediate series, an eight-part series that I have written about the news media and its decline in its historical credibility and the rise of Donald Trump to the presidency and possible re-election. I hope that you will check it out if you've not done so already. All eight parts can be found at Individual One Pod, including a link where all eight pieces of the series can be found all in one page. It was nice of Mediaite to do that, and hopefully uh, you'll take advantage of it. I know that the former guests of the Individual One podcast, including David Schuster and oddly Joe Walsh, have retweeted and praised the series. Uh, Joe Walsh, of course, has been in the news quite a bit because he announced, as I hinted uh, pretty strongly a couple weeks ago, uh, that someone uh, that I knew would do so. He has announced that he is running for president on the Republican side and will be taking on Donald Trump in the 2020 Republican primaries, if there are still such things. I'm not sure that there are, considering that we are essentially living in a situation where the Republican Party is a cult and that uh, the United States has become somewhat of a monarchy. Correct. At least uh, on the uh, Donald Trump side of the equation. But uh, Joe Walsh, who has been a guest on this show and been a friend of mine for a while and someone with whom I communicated quite a bit before his announcement. Uh, I have not spoken to him since his announcement or since when I divulged at least a very small portion of my interaction with him in the last episode of this podcast. I, ha I ha have, however, communicated with him via text, and he has agreed to come on this show on Sunday. So episode number 51, our scheduled guest is Republican presidential uh, nomin not nominee, but contender, uh, Joe Walsh, and that should be very interesting. I'm hoping to speak to Joe before the interview, although it might end up being a more <laughs> interesting interview if we don't speak before, because so much has happened since the last time we spoke about him running for president, his announcement that he is running uh, for the Republican nomination, and even now, Donald Trump attacking Joe Walsh. Um, and, and, and frankly, uh, while a lot of people were not surprised that Trump would go after Walsh and others on Twitter, I was mildly surprised that it happened when it did, and I was mildly surprised that Trump did so in a rather smart fashion, uh, because what Trump did was, and you never know with Trump, is this him being brilliant or is this him just being, you know, the possessor of dumb luck or somewhere in between? Because what Trump did yesterday on Twitter was that he lumped Joe Walsh along with two others, William Weld and Mark Sanford, who have talked about 
running for the Republican nomination, but who have really not done anything and haven't officially announced in any sort of legitimate fashion that they're running. So Trump lumped Joe Walsh in with uh, Sanford and Weld. I believe he called them the Three Stooges or something like that. I mean, he can come at some derogatory nickname. Did not name them, but it was clear who, to whom he was referring. And I think this was smart from Trump's perspective because he didn't dignify them by naming them. He inaccurately, in my estimation, lumps them all together so that Walsh, who actually has announced and has the semblance of a legitimate campaign and is clearly running, that Walsh can't get a one-on-one conflict with Trump. Because that's what Trump, the only worry that Trump would theoretically have here is if there was a head-to-head clash where someone could get a clear shot at Trump, maybe even potentially force him into a debate, which of course will in all likelihood will never happen because despite the misperception of Trump's cult. I love the poorly educated. Trump is terrified of a one-on-one debate. And I actually got into an argument with several of the Trumpsters on Twitter yesterday uh, when when I tweeted that Trump is terrified of debating anybody, especially a Joe Walsh who isn't afraid of him, uh, because the reality is he's never done it before. He's never taken on a Republican anything close head to head to head. And these morons, they either don't remember or they've been so brainwashed that they purposely have forgotten or misinterpreted that during the 2016 presidential nominating process, that started off with 16 guys running for the nomination. There was never anything close to a head-to-head debate. A, A debate with all those people on the stage is not a debate. It fell perfectly into Donald Trump's hands because all you have to do is pretend to know a subject for at most a minute. There's never any time for a real substantive uh, interaction. And, And Trump avoids substance like Superman avoids kryptonite. I mean, he's powerless if you actually have the time to nail him down on substance, and especially now after he would have to defend three years of his presidency and everything that he's done, that it was either not right or not conservative or both. And when it came to the 2016 Republican nominating process, as soon as it got down to three people, (laughs) Trump started dodging the debates completely because he knew he didn't have to do it. And, you know, to me, it's hilarious that the same people think that Trump is this alpha male who's got balls down to his knees uh, will rationalize every way possible that, well, he doesn't need he doesn't need to debate a Joe Walsh because he, he, he's going to be so far ahead in the polls. It doesn't matter. Well, uh, OK, fine. Um You know, remember Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson used to love beating the crap out of tomato cans because he got to show how big, tough a guy he was. He wanted to see how fast he could knock him out in the first round. Why doesn't Trump want to do that? If, if, as he says on Twitter, uh, these are are people who are not worthy uh, of him and he doesn't have to worry about them. I would think he would love 
Love the opportunity to go on national television and knock the crap out of an opponent. That would feed right into Trump's ego. Let the, the crowd roar, right? Isn't that what he's all about? Are you not entertained? I mean, come on. If he's the gladiator, what's he's afraid? what is he afraid of? He's afraid because he's, he knows he would get exposed. Joe Walsh, for whatever you want to say about his past, his history, his, his tweets, whether or not they're racist or not, I mean, and some of them surprised me, although I'm not sure any of them proved that he's an actual racist, but that's something maybe we can talk about uh, on Sunday in our scheduled interview with Joe. But the, re- the reality is that Joe Walsh w- would clean Donald Trump's clock in a Republican debate because Trump would have no leg to stand on. He doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the record. He, and, and Walsh at least has the knowledge and the wherewithal to go after him in a way that would terrify Donald Trump. So there's not, there's not going to be a debate, uh, you know, and, and it's going to be because Donald Trump is terrified. Now, he will rationalize that it's because he's so far ahead in the polls he doesn't need to, and his cult will buy that. I love the poorly educated. But it's not based in reality. It's based in the exact opposite of what his cult thinks of Trump. They think of him as this warrior uh, who is so brave and so gutsy. And in fact, he's the exact opposite. He's a wussy who's terrified because he's a fraud and he knows he's a fraud. And he knows that someone like Joe Walsh would expose that. Uh, Now, as I've already uh, stated in the last episode of the Individual One podcast, I am incredibly realistic about Uh, what Joe Walsh or anybody else could do against Donald Trump in a Republican nominating process. And while Joe Walsh's launch went exceedingly well with regard to getting mainstream media coverage, uh, it didn't go as well in other areas. Fox News Channel almost completely censored it. Not a surprise uh, if I had been uh, still advising Joe Walsh at the time of his announcement, I would have tried to make that a bigger issue. I would have offered my first interview to Chris Wallace and gotten an, a, an email record of them uh, declining that interview because then I could make Fox News Channel's censorship an issue. But uh, by my account and, and uh, my editor at Mediate uh, on Sunday actually uh, did a a search, a database search, and they found that Fox News Channel, as of late on Sunday, had only even mentioned Joe Walsh's run three short times with no interviews, no coverage, nothing substantive, designed almost exactly the way you would design it if your entire purpose was to be able to report it in a way so that you could have plausible deniability, but not in a way that anyone's ever going to pay any attention to. Three quick mentions on a Sunday afternoon, and then we're done with it, and we're going to pretend as if it never actually happened. Because in the Fox News Channel world, this, this is uh, inconvenient that there's actually someone who and multiple people who have been talking about running against Donald Trump, because why in the world would anyone run against an incumbent president when things are supposedly going so swimmingly well? Well, the, the reality is that things are not going well. And the polling numbers, which I'll get to shortly, are very, very indicative of that. And, and those polling numbers, by the way, may be causing Donald Trump to even criticize Fox News Channel. 
that's how bizarre we, the world we're living in now. Donald Trump went on Twitter this morning with all the things that are going on in the world, and he wanted to rip into Fox News Channel. Correct. Seriously, really. I mean, come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. (laughs) Donald Trump is now saying that Fox News Channel, quote, isn't working for us anymore. That's a quote from the President of the United States about his favorite cable news channel, the one that got him the nomination in 2016, the one that held his coalition together in the general election, the one that has allowed him to essentially escape the Mueller investigation by lying on his behalf and ignoring incredibly damaging information that Donald Trump is saying Fox News Channel isn't working for us anymore. I'm not sure who the us is. It's probably the cult. I love the poorly educated. But, I mean, come on, people. You cannot be serious! Uh, As even Britt Hume, a Trump sycophant who is been incredibly depressing to me because I used to love Brit Hume, uh, said Fox News Channel isn't supposed to be working for President Trump. And then I loved it. There was a former Fox News staffer that, that, that tweeted what Brit Hume said and said, that's correct, Brit. They're not supposed to, <laughs> but, but they clearly do. I mean, th- th- to me, and I tweeted this, to me, this is kind of like if Bill Clinton had uh, publicly declared that Monica Lewinsky was no longer servicing him well enough. That, that's kind of what this is. I'm sorry, you're giving me oral sex, but it's just not good enough oral sex. Only in this case, it's far more dangerous because it's got issues related to the nature of the fourth estate and press freedoms and what the role of journalism is and the, the creation of cults, because that's what Fox News Channel has done. Fox News Channel has cultivated the cult for Donald Trump. They have profited from that tremendously because normally, and I wrote about this in the Mediate series, normally, and this is what we learned during the Obama administration and and a little bit prior to that, the Bush administration, the reality is that no one wants to talk about in the news media is that a conservative media outlet, and the same thing now works on the left, actually makes far more money normally and has far better ratings if there is somebody from the opposite team in the White House, especially if they're scary and they're a boogie monster like Obama was. Fox News Channel did tremendously well during the Obama administration. The only reason why they're doing okay in the Trump administration is because now they have a cult. There was no George W. Bush cult. They, they, they had to defend George W. Bush, and it wasn't that great for their ratings. When they were able to attack Barack Obama, it was tremendous. Meanwhile, MSNBC, who helped elect Barack Obama, saw their ratings go in the tank because it doesn't work from a programming standpoint. Well, with Trump, we have a, and the exception that proves the rule because now you got a cult that Fox News Channel can rely on at all times. And we're now living in a world where broadcasting is dead. It's all about narrow casting. And if you can narrow cast to a smallish but passionate cult, that's a ratings winner in this environment because there's 500 different TV channels. So if you got 5% of the population that is so energized that they're going to eat at your trough, no matter what you feed them because they're a cult, that's a winning proposition. 
And now here we have the president of the United States condemning Fox News Channel because they haven't been quite cultish enough. <laughs> and by the way, under Fox News Channel, it's not just Fox News Channel. This is under the News Corp umbrella. It was particularly interesting to note that General James Mattis, the former defense secretary for Donald Trump, wrote an op-ed in today's Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal is owned by News Corp, the same company that owns Fox News Channel. And James Mattis wrote the op-ed saying, essentially, well, this is a quote, that we all know we are better than our current politics. This is James Mattis clearly talking about the president of the United States and saying very in very similar way uh, uh, what we have often used as a clip on this podcast. We're better than that. Except the reality is we're not. I disagree, General Mattis. I, we do not all know that we are better than our current politics. I think our current politics is exactly pretty much what we deserve. Are you not entertained? And it's sad and it's pathetic. And while I think it was good that James Mattis wrote what is being seen as a a very soft but clear condemnation of the Trump administration and the tribalization, which is a term he uses in the op-ed, the tribalization of America that the Trump administration is facilitating and taking advantage of, I thought by and large that what Mattis wrote was pretty weak sauce. I thought it was, considering the circumstances we're in, I thought it was way too soft on Trump. Correct. And I get why he did it. I mean, you know, he's trying to be respectful of the president. This is a guy he served uh, for as defense secretary. But these are extraordinary times. And extraordinary times require extraordinary measures. And uh, Mattis's op-ed was not extraordinary, in my opinion. Correct. Uh, and in, that, in a weird way, that actually benefits Trump. Uh, so uh, I mentioned earlier that all of the uh, Trump hysteria, and I, I think his attacks on Fox News Channel, uh, are based in large part, at least in my interpretation, I mean, tr- trying to use logic with Trump is always a dangerous proposition. But it certainly seems to me that Trump is looking for an excuse for why his polling numbers are starting to tank, that he's starting to panic that it's starting to set in that even if we don't have a recession, which he's trying to blame the media for trying to create, and and if in fact it ever happens, try to create the narrative that it's not really happening, that the media is just telling you it's happening and don't believe your lying eyes, which is very 1984 George Orwell-ish. But uh, there's no question that Trump appears to be very agitated. And there's a reason for him to be very agitated because it is now appearing as if he is not in control of his own reelection efforts. And I have been very clear and I've been criticized at times for being a little too bullish on Donald Trump's reelection uh, opportunity and, and potential. I'm somebody, obviously, who's a huge Trump critic. I'm someone who believed that he would not win the 2016 election, although I thought it would be close. And I and the polling, it's incredibly important to point out, the polling, the national polling in the 2016 election turned out to be pretty darn close to accurate at the end. 
It was only off by a point or two. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by almost three points, which was essentially what most polls had her at in those last few days after the whole James Comey uh, disaster fiasco uh, firestorm that occurred because of his press conference 10 days before the election where he needlessly reopened the Hillary Clinton email investigation. So the polls have gotten a bad rap nationally. The mistakes were on the, in the state polls. Wisconsin was a catastrophic mistake. Michigan was a mistake. Pennsylvania was a mistake. There were a couple other more minor mistakes, but those the three were the entire election. If Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan go as the state polls indicated they should or would, then Hillary Clinton is president. and None of this nightmare occurs with regard to Donald Trump. So, you know, as a former polling analyst myself for Quinnipiac many, many, many years ago, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the polling industry. <laughs> Most of them are liberals. A lot of them are not that smart. I think Nate Silver, by the way, is a complete fraud. He's a liberal hack. Uh, who has been able to con people into thinking he's some sort of an expert because he got lucky in in one, maybe two elections uh, using a a matrix where it's impossible to to disprove any prediction that he makes because he doesn't really make any predictions. But I digress. My point is, though, I do believe that the polling industry has gotten a bad rap because of 2016. And in a weird way, this is both playing into Trump's hands and also not playing into Trump's hands. It's playing into Trump's hands because people no longer have as much trust in polling as they used to. But this actually will also hurt him because I think it's creating a bit of overconfidence and complacency on the right among the Trump cult this time, as opposed to the complacency that occurred in 2016 on the Hillary Clinton side. There's no question Hillary lost Wisconsin because of liberal complacency and probably also Michigan. It was not the case in in Pennsylvania, as I've said many times, because Trump actually got a huge turnout there. Trump's cult in the middle of Pennsylvania turned out in huge numbers. I think part of that was because there was a conservative Republican running for re-election in the U.S. Senate, which is not going to be happening in 2020. And that's an important thing for people to be considering. But the reality is that this polling distrust works both to and against Trump's chances of re-election. And and where I have been on this has been, look, if Trump maintains a certain level of support, now we don't know exactly what that support is, but it's got to be somewhere in the 30, I'm sorry, 43, 44, maybe 45 percentile with regard to approval. If he's in the 43 to 45 percentile of approval and he maintains more of that approval in the right places, like Pennsylvania, like Florida, if if those are the places where he is still near 50 or over 50 percent, he can pull off a similar victory in 2020 to what he did in 2016, because the national popular vote means almost nothing now. We used to live in a world where we were unified enough where the national polls were indicative of who would win the Electoral College. Well, that's gone now. Hillary Clinton proved that in spades. And I, I agree with those who said it's possible for Trump to lose the national popular vote in 2020 by four or five points and still win the Electoral College as long as he maintains his popularity in several key states. I've also said, though, if he dips below 
below, say, 43% and, and is in the 40, 41% realm as far as approval, that is a level that maybe he cannot win under any circumstances, even if Joe Biden isn't the nominee, even if it's Elizabeth Warren, even if there's not a recession. The analogy I'll use is this. You know, I've got two young kids. Uh, We go to amusement parks quite a bit. Uh, You know, my kids are spoiled. They go to Disneyland a lot. Uh, The biggest issue, of course, is are you tall enough to ride a particular ride, right? I got a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. This is kind of the analogy I'll use for Trump's level of support. His level of support needs to be large enough for him to be eligible to get on the ride. Once he gets on the ride, so to speak, if he were to get the good fortune of running against Elizabeth Warren, he's got a shot because he can play the game. He's a very good attack dog. He's got some advantages on his side, including the Electoral College and some uh, geographical advantages and demographic advantages in those key states. So, But he's got to be tall enough. His support has to be large enough for him to be allowed to get on the ride. He is now in danger of not being large enough to get on the ride. And then it won't matter. If you're not allowed to get on the ride, it doesn't, nothing else matters because your opponent's going to win no matter what, whether there's an, a recession or not, and whether or not it's Joe Biden, who is a very electable, or Elizabeth Warren, who has a lot of theoretical and, I think, literal electoral problems. And while it's going to take some time for this perception to become cemented in the minds of Democratic primary voters, there's still a lot of time between now and the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. And and obviously events can intercede and probably will intercede. But right now, I see Joe Biden in big trouble because the more the perception I'm talking about starts to take hold, if these polls continue, and let's be clear, these polls are now brutal for Donald Trump, brutal, even in some of the key states. His approval rating in many of the key states that he had he won in 2016 is now 10, 15, 20 points lower than it was after his election. And that's big problems. That's huge, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the economy says, no matter who your opponent is. Correct. And again, that can change when you're president, you have advantages. But it's kind of hard to understand how it changes dramatically. And I've had a lot of people say, well, John, why why are you believing these polls when the 2016 polls at, at a certain point also had Trump getting clobbered by Hillary Clinton? Correct. That's 100 percent true. Here's the big difference, though. And this is fundamental. It's probably beyond the grasp of most Trump supporters. uh, And it takes a little bit of nuance. But hear me out on this. In 2016, when Hillary was beating Trump by 52 to 44 or 42, you know, she was sometimes winning by 12, 14 points in certain national polls. When that was happening, the number, there was one thing that was still in play that is not in play today. There were huge numbers of people who were fence sitters who could rationalize what Donald Trump as president would be like. They could 
believed that he would grow into the office, that maybe this was all an act, that maybe he wouldn't be such a colossal asshole once he was president, and that he would suddenly mature into somebody who could do the job. Correct. Guess what? There are no people remaining in that category. None. I'm sorry. There are zero people who are still thinking, you know, after three and a half years, he really has kind of grown into the office. And this wasn't as bad as I had worried. And uh, we could take a flyer on him. And boy, he's better than Hillary Clinton would have been. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. No, those people do not exist. And it's hard to imagine, barring us getting into a war that somehow the majority of the American people uh, would agree with, which at this point, I mean, that's really hard to fathom. Uh, unless something of that proportion occurs, how do you get those people back? And in poll after poll, Trump can't get past 40 percent in a head-to-head battle with any of these opponents. Now, Biden wins by the most, but sooner or later, uh, Democrats, if that trend continues, are going to go, well, what's the difference between winning by 12 and winning by 10? Uh, I'll take Elizabeth Warren winning by eight. Uh, over uh, Joe Biden winning by 12. What difference does it make? She excites me way more, and Joe seems a little too old, and you know, I'm being told by all these liberal media outlets that he's not woke enough. And uh, you know, I, I, let, me, let me take a chance here with Elizabeth Warren. Now, there is a scenario where that actually ends up helping Trump because it's the only life raft he might still have is if the Democrats go too far and overplay their hand, which they inevitably do. But I'm a believer that these polls are legitimate. They are real. They are very bad news for the Republican Party. And the uh, doomsday wipeout scenario for the Republican Party is now very much in play, especially if there's economic weakening. Uh, we just learned today that the, uh, the GOP senator from Georgia is retiring. That means two Georgia Senate seats are going to be up for reelection without an incumbent in the next uh, two years, or next year, in the next year. Uh, it is two potential Democratic pick up, pickups in Georgia. In Georgia. Seriously? You cannot be serious! And we're a long way from that happening, for real, but it's possible. As because of Trump's incredible unpopularity. And this is all going to be because of Trump. Now, his people will never acknowledge that, never admit that. But this is all the backlash that I've been warning about for years. Been warning about since, well, frankly, I started warning about it in 2011 when I wrote a column for The Daily Caller warning about Trump. But for, for a very, very uh, enthusiastically and very clearly, I started warning about this in late 2015 when it was obvious that Trump was a major contender, if not the favorite, to win the Republican nomination. The, the, the scenario is now looking very possible that the backlash wipeout doomsday scenario I warned about is very much in play. Long time between now and November of 2020, but we are looking right down the barrel of a potential Elizabeth Warren presidency with a healthy majority in the House and maybe even a majority in the Senate, and then look out. Look out, because at that point, under that scenario, liberals will have way more power in January of 2011. I'm sorry, 2021.
boy, I'm aging myself, in 2021, uh, way more power in 2021 than they ever would have dreamed of having in January 2021 if Hillary Clinton had beaten Donald Trump or if she had beaten a, a legitimate Republican candidate like a Marco Rubio or a Scott Walker or somebody like that. And the worst part is Republicans and conservatives will have zero zero credibility to push back against anything that Warren and the Democrats do, unlike what was the case with Obama in 2008. Obama came in in a wave election, had majorities in the House and the Senate, but at least Republicans still stood for something. They had some semblance of credibility. They had stuck by some semblance of their principles, and they were able to fight back. That's not going to be the case under the scenario post-Donald Trump. Correct. So, you know, my old worry about all this was a second term with Donald Trump is going to destroy what's left of America, destroy the core of America, if not do even worse than that, because a second Donald Trump uh, term would be far worse without having any worry about accountability to the voters than a first term would be. That was my old worry. I'm still worried about that, but my more prominent worry right now is that we have a total wipeout because of Donald Trump, that liberals totally take over and socialism reigns into not just the near future, but into the long-term future because Republicans and conservatives no longer have any credibility to hold the line, to fight back. They've sold out to a con man who, frankly, is a socialist. I mean, let's be clear. This is the guy giving massive bailouts to farmers to pay for his tariffs. This is the guy who is, and this is astonishing to me that we've already forgotten about this, but this is the guy who tweets that he is hereby ordering American companies to stop doing business with China, then follows that up by doubling and tripling down, saying he has the legal authority to do that, has his own economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, go out on television and say, yep, the president has this authority, but isn't currently planning on using it. What? Really? You cannot be serious. Uh, and yet, we've already forgotten about this. We've already forgotten about this. That is worse than socialism, frankly. But in so many ways, Trump had, and, and forget about the spend. What about the spending? The massive deficit spending. We've, conservatives completely lost any credibility in attacking that. And, and now, you know, so how, how in the world do you, do you hold the line against an Elizabeth Warren with a, a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. I don't see how you do it. I, I really don't. And uh, so that, to me, is now... I'm, I'm not, not 100% sure which scenario is worse, but uh, the most frustrating element of this is that if we get the, the new worry scenario, the GOP doomsday scenario, Trump will not get any of the real blame that he deserves at least not from the cult, from the core of the Republican Party, and therefore very little from even Republican leadership because it's still going to be a cult, and they're just going to be looking for rationalizations and excuses for why this happened. And then you know who's going to get blamed? Probably people like me. Correct. That's the, that's the insane part of this, that it, it's just going to be people like me. Uh, not me. I'm not important enough to get blamed by name, but it's going to be people like me who will be blamed for, well, if you, you know, if you 
uh, you know, never Trumpers had just gone along and not attacked Donald Trump at all costs, uh, then he would have been successful. Or the other scenario is this was all inevitable uh, and Trump just actually bought us another four years. That's a load of bullshit. That's a load of bullshit. The scenario is that if Trump loses, Hillary Clinton is a powerless, moderate president with a Republican House and a Republican Senate. And right now, Senator Marco Rubio is the favorite to be the Republican nominee and probably beats the crap out of Hillary Clinton in 2020. That's what the scenario would be. That's where we would be right now. And uh, unfortunately, this is all going down exactly as I had uh, warned, predicted. Uh, you know, I'm still hopeful that somehow there's, there, there might be some semblance of a way to thread the needle here. And maybe, uh, you know, Joe Biden with the Republican Senate. But I'm, I'm losing hope in, in that uh, scenario. And, and frankly, you know what? Republicans don't deserve that one anyway. Because uh, Republicans deserve everything that's coming their way, at least as it currently uh, appears to be the case. I do want to at least mention, since we've spent a lot of time discussing the Russian investigation, you know, and, and Robert Mueller's uh, investigation into Trump and the Russian interference in the 2016 election. I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. That, thanks so much, Robert Mueller. You did a great job with that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. Um, there was a, a very uh, explosive report last night on MSNBC that, uh, <laughs> frankly, if true, uh, is the biggest bombshell yet in the entire Russian investigation. This would be bigger than what should have been the biggest bombshell thus far, which is that Donald Trump was trying to build a Trump Tower in Moscow <laughs> while the Republican nominee in 2016 and lying about it, and then later had his personal lawyer lie under oath to Congress about it. Correct. I mean, to me, <laughs> it's hard to get bigger than that, and yet... Most of the American people have no frickin' idea that that even happened, largely because of media incompetence and partially because, as you well know... I love the poorly educated. So last night on MSNBC, Lawrence O'Donnell, on whose show I once appeared during the 2016 uh, election, uh, and I've met him actually in an airport. I've, I've never been a huge fan of uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. I think he's an, an arrogant uh, jackass. Uh, but he's, he's not a, a moron, and I think he's at least somebody who cares about what he believes to be the truth. So I don't think he's a total scam artist, uh, unlike a lot of people in the media and cable news. He started his program last night with an explosive report involving Deutsche Bank. Now, Deutsche Bank is the only bank that uh, in recent years would give Donald Trump the time of day. I've, I've articulated in the past my own father's uh, interaction with Trump, and it was related to why it is that nobody <laughs> will loan Donald Trump any money because he won't pay it back. Uh, but for some reason, Deutsche Bank has been very willing to loan Donald Trump money. And uh, Lawrence O'Donnell went on MSNBC last night and claimed that a source, and it's important to point out, just one source, a single source, close to Deutsche Bank, has uh, revealed to him how it is that Donald Trump was able to secure some major loans just prior to running for the presidency of the United States. And you guessed it, there is an extremely strong Russia connection. This is the essence 
of Lawrence O'Donnell's report last night on MSNBC. And the source says that Deutsche Bank is in possession of loan documents that show Donald Trump has obtained loans with co-signers and that he would not have been able to obtain those loans without co-signers. The source close to Deutsche Bank says that the co-signers of Donald Trump's Deutsche Bank loans are Russian billionaires close to Vladimir Putin. Bum, bum, bum. Now, that uh, to the anti-Trump person uh, is an incredibly intoxicating uh, report. That's one that you want to be true. Uh, it would make things a whole lot clearer. They, it would make a whole lot of things make a lot more sense. It would vindicate those of us who have always believed that there's a lot more going on with the Russia connection, not necessarily a Manchurian candidate circumstance, but certainly more than Bill Barr was able to lie about. No collusion, uh, no uh, um, uh, conspiracy, no obstruction. Uh, you know, Trump, that whole baloney that he has been selling. The collusion delusion is over. Right. Well, I'm a big believer that the Mueller report did not come to that conclusion, that he concluded there was plenty of collusion. He just wasn't able to prove a criminal conspiracy uh, between the Trump campaign and Russia. How you would ever prove that, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but the, the reality is I, I am a big believer that we don't know the full truth. And if it is true that Donald Trump was able to get his loans from Deutsche Bank because of Russian oligarchs with ties to Vladimir Putin, that really would be a massive bombshell. That, if proven, I believe, even though I'm the ultimate cynic, I believe that would result in Donald Trump's impeachment because it would create a, a very different matrix or prism through which to see all these other facts. And it's something that the average American could understand and would immediately, uh, I believe, other than the cult member from uh, of, of Trump's 40 percent nationwide, I think anyone other than the cult member would look at that and go, OK, I'm sorry, I'm done. Uh, there's way more going on here than Trump has admitted to. I don't like it. And I, I and I, I got to stop this. Correct. I mean, that, that to me is very obvious. I don't know what the percentage would be, but if it was ever proven that that is true, I think Trump is impeached. I don't think he's removed, but it would be at least in the realm of possibility that he's removed because then uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, who currently runs the Senate majority for the GOP, will be looking at the 2020 election and going, OK, uh, is this guy really worth uh, selling everything out for? Because he's going to lose. I'm going to probably lose my Senate majority, especially if it's proven that th this report from MSNBC is true. And wouldn't we be better off getting rid of this guy and just seeing where we go with, uh, you know, presidential nominee Mike Pence? Again, that's a not a certain uh, scenario, but it's at least in the realm of possibility. Now, let's go back to the report. Is the report true? I have huge doubts that this is true. And, and it has nothing to do with the really with the facts or the alleged facts of O'Donnell's report. I am uh, and my wife will tell you, I, I know very little uh, about a lot of things, but I know a lot about a few things. And um, and one of the things I know a lot about is the way the news media works 
and how to interpret the truthfulness of a story simply by the tea leaves, simply by the atmospherics, simply by what the sourcing is and who it is that's telling you the story. And I have to tell you, I can't make in my brain work the idea that a single source who has this kind of bombshell information, if you really have information that Donald Trump's loans from Deutsche Bank were secured through Russian oligarchs with ties to Vladimir Putin, I'm sorry, you're not going to Lawrence O'Donnell with that story. Correct. There's no reason to go to Lawrence O'Donnell because Lawrence O'Donnell is on at night after Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. If you're going to go to MSNBC, you go to Rachel Maddow first, by the way. She's going to jump all over this. She's the Russian conspiracy woman. So you're actually going to the second string Russian conspiracy person on the most anti-Trump cable news network. That makes no sense unless one of two scenarios is the case. Number one, you've already pitched this story to other more reputable news outlets and they passed. Now, there's no evidence of that yet. I I actually asked on Twitter whether anyone else had been pitched the story. I did not get a substantive response from anybody in the media. But that's the, the first possible scenario. The second possible scenario is you were chosen as the person to report this because the person who was pitching this or someone who duped your source, thats I'll get to that possibility in a second, but that you were, you were targeted for this story because it was perceived you would be very susceptible to accepting and reporting it and you have enough credibility to where it would get out there and it would be a major news story and it would trend on Twitter and some other media outlets would pick it up. But it's not true. Now, that doesn't mean his source is lying to him. He may really believe in his source. I think it's possible his source believes it. Because remember, he's identifying this source as a source close to Deutsche Bank. He's not even saying someone who works for Deutsche Bank. So let's be very clear. This story does not pass even basic journalistic muster because it has only one unnamed source. There's no apparent documents. You would need at least, for a story this big, you would need two sources and you would need some documentation of some sort. But instead, Lawrence O'Donnell goes with one source close to, not from Deutsche Bank, close to Deutsche Bank. Now, what does this mean? It could mean anything. It could mean someone that Lawrence O'Donnell has some knowledge of, maybe a relationship with, who he's given credibility to, and that person themselves got duped into believing this. Now, who duped them? There are a lot of people that would want to dupe them. The Russians might want to dupe them. The Trump campaign might want to dupe them. I think we have seen several times in this entire scenario, this this never-ending scandal slash saga, 
where there have been fake stories that have been planted for the purposes of discrediting the overall narrative, for creating expectations that are way too high that can never be met, for discrediting the people who are reporting on this to forward the fake news narrative that Trump loves so much. Again, do I know for sure that this story is not true? No, I don't. And a large part of me wishes very fervently that it is true or would be true. It seems way too convenient, way too easy, way too much of a smoking gun. And there are there's way too many questions as to how this got reported in the way that it did. One source should not have validated a report of this magnitude. But whoever was behind this, again, under the scenario that it's not real or it's greatly exaggerated, which is also a possibility, if you were going to try to get something like this into the public domain, I'm telling you, if someone came to me, not this would ever happen, but if, if, if someone came to me and said, all right, uh, Zig, how would we best, we got some bad news coming from this Deutsche Bank uh, uh, situation, right? Deutsche Bank has some is going to hand over to Congress some very damaging uh, documents regarding Donald Trump. If you were working on behalf of Donald Trump, how would we best torpedo that? How would we best discredit that? Well, the best way to do it would be to to pitch a story that was so salacious that it would raise expectations to an insane level that someone would be willing to grab onto because it was just too juicy to resist. It was just too tempting. It made too much sense. And, I, and, and they would say to me, okay, well, how would you do that? And I swear to God, the, what I would have told them is I would pitch it to Lawrence O'Donnell. I would pitch it to Lawrence O'Donnell because Lawrence O'Donnell, being after Rachel Maddow, is going to jump all over this. He's a little desperate Right? He, his job has not been that secure for quite a while. But he's got enough credibility within media circles. Other people are going to pick this up. It's going to get out there. It's going to get well-known enough so that if it turns out to be false, you will have not only discredited anything having to do with the Deutsche Bank document dump, you will discredit anybody on that side of the issue even further than they've already been discredited because of the perception of the Mueller investigation. I'm not going to get into that. So, again, do I know that this happened? Absolutely not. Is it possible that I'm overthinking this? Sure, absolutely. And again, I would love it if this story is true. But it makes no sense to me that one person with that knowledge would go to Lawrence O'Donnell. That's not who you would go to if the knowledge was hard, core, truth, backed up by facts that was ever going to be proven. If it was BS speculation or a great exaggeration or if it was totally made up to try to discredit elements of this story, you would go to Lawrence O'Donnell. And so right now, unless there's more factual record to back this up, that's where I'm going to lean. I don't know this for sure. I'm going to lean that Lawrence O'Donnell got duped or at the very least jumped on a very exaggerated story. Now, I will say one thing that goes in the other direction. To my knowledge, as of this taping, Deutsche Bank has made no statement. It's possible I missed this, but I, I looked. Deutsche Bank has made no statement condemning the story. Now, if that is in fact true, that's interesting. 
That, to me, would have been something I would have expected. I would have expected Deutsche Bank to come out and say, no, no, there's, there's, there's no truth to this, or at least something indicating that there's no truth to that. Now, if they did that, that wouldn't 100% prove that the story is false. But the fact that they have not done that, that is maybe in, in some ways the best evidence that the story could theoretically be true. So again, I'm not making a final conclusion on this. I'm just saying huge yellow, almost red light uh, when it comes to interpreting the Lawrence O'Donnell uh, story on MSNBC. Now, to the bigger picture of Trump's money and how he's making it and how inappropriate he's making it uh, in ways that are exactly opposite of what he promised during his campaign when he said he would drain the swamp. My God, in just the last few days, there have been so many stories involving Donald Trump and inappropriate uh, ways of increasing his own net worth that if they ever occurred in any other presidency, it's all we would ever talk about. I mean, here's just a short list. Uh, of Donald Trump and uh, and and bilking uh, the American taxpayer for his own benefit. He has been lobbying to get the next G7 summit to be held at his shithole resort, Doral in Miami. I spent a lot of time back in Doral in Miami as a kid, well before Donald Trump ever owned it. It was a tremendous place. Some of the best moments of my childhood were spent there. It's now a shithole. And uh, and Trump owns it. And he has been lobbying the G7 to hold next year's summit at Doral. The White House Twitter feed. This is I'm not making this up. This is astonishing, especially since no one even gives a shit. The White House Twitter feed yesterday or maybe it was the day before in the last couple of days posted a video of Donald Trump doing a commercial for his Doral Resort. The White House Twitter feed. Really? You cannot be serious. A commercial. This is, so he's he's using the White House to promote his resort so that he can get foreign leaders to come to the resort in a way that will make him money. And this is the guy who got elected claiming he would drain the swamp. That's swampier than anyone ever dreamed of the swamp getting. But it's not alone. All these trips that he makes to his own properties, guess what happens? The U.S. government pays Trump-operated companies. He makes money when, as president, he goes to one of his own properties. Lots of it. And you know where that money comes from? United States taxpayers. Then there's the issue of him lobbying for lower interest rates, which he continues to do, attacking the Fed chairman, Powell. Just did did so again today, saying the rest of the world has no interest rates. Why are our interest rates as high as they are, even though they're actually historically at very low numbers? Well, guess what happens when, when the Fed lowers interest rates? The interest rates on Trump's own loans go down. He saves millions of dollars by interest rates going down. Then there's foreign governments buying rooms at an alarming rate at his Washington, D.C. hotel. On land, by the way, where the law says a government official can't own it. How in the world this has not become 
a major legal issue to me is one of the most baffling things of the entire Trump administration because it's a clear cut violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution. And it appears to be a, a direct violation of D.C. law. And yet his cult doesn't give a damn. That, that people are buying influence with the presidency by staying at his D.C. hotel, which is one of the only hotels he has that's doing well. Why? Because they know this is like the mob. They know this is how you grease the skids. You want a meeting with Trump or you want him to look uh, with favor on what you want him to do? Then just buy, you know, a, a suite for a couple of weeks at the D.C. hotel. You don't think Trump knows? You don't think Trump is aware of this? Come on, people. And then I've been talking for weeks, but some no one else is mentioning this issue of potential market manipulation, not just interest rates, but the stock market. I think there's a hell of a chance a large part of his tariff obsession is about manipulating the stock market. Newsweek reported yesterday that in February, Carl Icahn, former Trump advisor, sold $31.3 million in steel stock. When did he do it? Just before Trump announced new tariffs on steel. A week before. Now, is that a coincidence? Could be. Could be a coincidence. Could also be that Trump let Icon know that he was doing this. And it would be so incredibly simple and easy, especially as much as Trump can move the markets with a damn tweet. All he'd have to do is just let a friend know. He doesn't have to Tell a friend the stock market's going to go up or down. He just needs to tell a friend I'm going to be pro-terrorist or anti-terrorist today. And voila, they know which way the market's going to go. Now, the market's starting very slowly to learn not to take any of this with a grain of salt, but it's still moving the market. The market's lost a, over 1,500 points recently because he's been in this trade war with China baloney. And then there's Bill Barr. His hack attorney general now holding a holiday party at the D.C. hotel for $30,000 of taxpayer money. Guess who gets that money? Donald Trump. Folks, this is, an, this is a monarchy. This is a combination of a monarchy and a mob. Correct. That's where this is, this is the way this is functioning. And it, like everything Trump does, when he says, I'm going to drain the swamp, it's the opposite of the truth. It's not just a lie. It's the opposite of the truth. He is the swamp. And I'll finish by saying I at least got to mention that the, it was reported this week that Donald Trump, on numerous occasions, asked advisors to look into whether or not we could fight hurricanes heading for our coastline by launching nuclear weapons into the hurricanes. That's, that's a real story. That's something that when the president denied it, the news outlet stood by. It's just flat out ridiculous. Trump, of course, has now numerous times said that it's not true, that it's fake news, which unfortunately, you know what that means? It's real. Correct. That's what it means. Using my Trump decoder ring when he says fake news in a situation like this, that means it's actually true. Correct. He's just embarrassed about it and doesn't want his cult to believe that he's capable of that kind of insanity. I love the poorly educated. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. As always, we finish with an update on the percentages for Trump to either not finish his first term in office or be reelected. There's a slight adjustment. We're now up to 9% chance. 
9% chance that Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office. And I'm going to lower the chances of his reelection to 40%. That might sound high given my commentary, but there's still a long, long way to go. And the presidency does give him the power to change potential events. So I, I am still not convinced that he is a deadlock cinch to lose regardless of circumstances. But I do believe he is now a significant underdog as of uh, this date in August of 2019 to be reelected just over a year from now. Uh, please remember that on uh, Sunday, our scheduled guest is Republican presidential nominee Joe Walsh. That should be interesting. Until then, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share the show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual number one pod. That's individual number one pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.